All right. Well, we, we are looking at the last portion. I can't say the last chapter because we're finishing up chapter 11 as well, but the last portion of the book of Daniel. And um, as we do this, I, well, before we start, I'm going to tell you about a set of books that I discovered. I, I, I'm going to tell you, I have not read the whole thing. I have just skimmed through it, but it's, it's, it, it, there's three of them. It's the Nonprofits Guide. This one's to the end times. There's one to the Book of Revelation, and there's one for um, spiritual warfare. So he, he writes, we bought it because Catherine has been asking a bajillion questions about the end times, and even the Book of Daniel did not prepare me for all of her questions. But um, so so we bought these, but it it goes through some of those different views that are out there, some of the um, thing. But it it does it in a way that is clear and understandable. He makes it fun with little cartoons, but just because you see the cartoons doesn't mean the information's not solid. It is from what I looked at. Again, I haven't read the whole thing. But from what I looked at and did read, it it's very um, very well done, very understandable, but still gets the point across. So, um, yeah, that he also has a um, cartoon show. He's an animator apparently, and has a cartoon show on Right Now Media. If you are interested in that. Oh, sorry, Todd Hampson, H-A-M-P-S-O-N. So, now i got to get my thing back up here. Okay. So as we look at this last chunk of Daniel, I'm, I'm going to challenge you just a little bit to look at it a little differently or, or to think about it a little differently than, than we have before. Um, so, so bear with me, because there is a point, I promise. <laughs> so change is a part of life, right? It's easier for some than it is for others. Some changes are easier than other changes. And there have been several times in my life that I have known changes coming and just prayed for months about what God was going to do and how he was going to work everything out, because I'm a planner and I like to know those things. And I know I have told at least parts of this story to this group before, um, but here it is again anyway. Uh, Easter is one of the hardest holidays of the year for me since we moved to Pennsylvania in 2009 because I know that the rest of my extended family is in my cousins, my aunts and uncles, are all at my grandmother's house celebrating together um, and that we couldn't be there. So that was one of the hardest things for me um, uh, on Easter and so then it was I had all these memories from my childhood of that and, and trying to make that day special for my kids um, just makes it a different kind of challenge and so we have figured things out, but um, Easter of 2014, that was 
was no different in that regard. We'd been here for, for five years, or it was our our fifth year of being here. We've been here four and a half years at that point. But Ray was just really preoccupied that afternoon after we got home from church and we were still trying to make good memories for our kids but it was just off. Um, so finally when it was just the two of us Ray told me that while he and God were talking that morning he knew that this would be our last Easter at Bethel Baptist Church in Mannheim. I, I mean Talking about an overwhelming change, we moved to Pennsylvania to be at that church. We had been there for four and a half years at that point. We were away from our families. I had given up my career, and now we were going back to unknown territory. We both prayed fervently for the next several weeks. God gave me the same peace about leaving, but there was a, a not yet aspect as well. So for six months, we waited for God to give the go-ahead. And when he did, Ray talked to the personnel committee at the church in October, and he submitted his resignation effective at Christmas. So this left us with quite the conundrum. God had moved us here to Pennsylvania, but we had nothing left to do here. So we decided, because it was, it was January, we decided to spend the next several months not making any decisions, just resting. We knew that the kids needed to finish out the school year anyway, so our deadline was Easter the next year for ourselves before Ray would even open a website to look at what other church positions were out there. And before we would make any sort of decision about staying, or go, staying in Pennsylvania, or going back to Kentucky, uh, and, and what we would do about me and if I needed to go back to work or if I needed to to continue to stay at home. I had, we had decided for me to stay at home to be a support for his ministry, which is why that would be the, the issue. So lots of changes were coming, but we needed a Sabbath rest, and so we took it. We ended up at Mount Calvary that January. That's another God story in and of itself. But uh, we talked to Pastor Dick, had been at and Dr. Sheard's um, Sunday school class and so had talked to him also about just coming to rest that we weren't going to serve and we were just going to make decisions after Easter start thinking about things after Easter. Ray felt an immediate connection with both Pastor Dick and Pastor Jonathan. They were wonderful for him during this time. Uh, I struggled a bit more to find connections. I got very homesick. I wanted to go back to Kentucky. The week after Easter they, thankfully, they waited, but um, Dick and Jonathan met Ray for coffee and asked him to pray about coming on staff at Mount Calvary to head up life groups. Ray was hesitant because it was literally right after Easter when we were going to actually start thinking about it, and, uh, but he was excited for the opportunity. I was not as excited. I wanted to go back to Kentucky. I wanted to raise my kids near my family. Keep in mind, this was shortly after I had just navigated my way out of postpartum depression. I was still working through some of those things, still, still navigating my own personal mental health at the time as well. But God is faithful. I was driving back to our home one day, a week or two later, drove up this hill on 
Baker Road, up the hill, and there's a stop sign at the top, and then we turn left to get to my house. And um, this clear vision of the word home as I'm pulling up to that stop sign. Now, I can't tell you if I saw the word, if I heard the word, if I just felt the word. I have no idea. But it was just this overwhelming, indescribable feeling of peace that came with the word home. I knew in that moment that we weren't going back to home to Kentucky, but the, we were home right here where God wanted us. So this was a year of waiting, of watching, a year of big changes for our family, a, big, a year of big changes for our ministry. This was a year of God coming alongside us to lead us and guide us, and a year of remembering that God would never leave us or forsake us. This year of transition allowed for great growth for us in trusting God with the direction of our lives. And this year of transition for us led to a new beginning in, in a new type of ministry, and it it truly led to growth for our entire family. So as we look at today's passage in Daniel, we see a lot of, uh, of the phrase, the time of the end. And we think about that for Daniel as an ending. But in reality, this is just a transition. The time of the end is a time of transition for the people of God. It's a time where... Um, where we are going to see a change from the earth being a kingdom of the flesh where sin is rampant and spiritual warfare is constantly being fought to becoming a kingdom of God where Satan is not just defeated but is utterly destroyed and Christ rules the earth as part of his kingdom for, for a thousand years or more. So as we read and study today, don't think about the end. Think about that transition and about what what great things God has coming after. Um, so this passage continues the vision from our previous weeks. And so before we get into the passage itself, we're going to pause and review for just a minute. So thinking back to two weeks ago, when did this vision take place? It's at the beginning of, of chapter 10. third year of King Cyrus, so that was about 536, and how old was Daniel again? 80 to 85-ish, somewhere in there. And what had just taken place for the Jewish people just before this time? Well, Passover, yes, but what, what in the big, um, the big scheme? like the whole nation being able to do something after 70 years in captivity. They got to go back to Jerusalem. They were allowed to return to Jerusalem and to start rebuilding the temple. And at this point in time, if you remember, we looked back at Ezra a little bit. Um, and Ezra is the story of the, has the story of the rebuilding of the temple. But the foundation of the temple was completed but the work was hard, and, and it had come to a stop, pretty much. And so, so that's where Daniel is in terms of the nation of Israel. 
but where did the vision take place? The banks of the Tigris. If you remember the Tigris, the Euphrates River is what went through the city of Babylon. The Tigris River at the closest point to Babylon was about 20 miles away. So he was, he had, he had left the city. And if you recall, he left the city with some friends, but those friends kind of ran away um, th th when the vision began. Um, and so along the banks, he's along the banks of the Tigris River, and what did he see? A man. And who did we say that man was? Jesus. It was a similar, um, very similar description to, to uh, what John wrote in Revelation chapter 1. Um, and so he had this vision of, of Jesus, that big word, the Christophany, uh, that appearance of Jesus. And then he talked to an angel, possibly Gabriel. And so remember, I'm going to use the name Gabriel, even if it wasn't Gabriel, just, yeah. He learned about the invisible war going on in the heavens. And then Gabriel started telling him, all these things this this about uh, things that were to come so he talked about Persia he talked about Greece and the four kingdoms of Greece and and then talked about um, the the almost constant it felt like a constant struggle between the king of the north and the king of the south and then we finished off last week talking about the the one king that would be terrible to the Jewish people, that would persecute them, that would try to annihilate them. Um, and we saw how this lined up with King Antiochus Epiphanes from around 170 until his death in 163 BC. And then we get to this, to the, this last part of the vision, this transition period. That's what I'm going to call it, even though it says the time of the end. This, this transition period. So um, Daniel 11, 36 through 45. And the, king's, and the king shall do as he wills. He shall exalt himself and magnify himself above every god and speak astonishing things against the god of gods. He shall prosper till the end of the nation is accomplished. For what is decreed shall be done. He shall pay no attention to the gods of his fathers or to the one beloved by women. He shall not pay attention to any other god, for he shall magnify himself above all. He shall honor the god of fortress instead of these. A god whom his fathers did not know, he shall honor with gold and silver and precious stones and costly gifts. He shall deal with the strongest fortresses with the help of a foreign god. Those who acknowledge him shall live with honor. He shall make them rulers over many and shall divide the land for a price. At the time of the end, the king of the south shall attack them, but the king of the north shall rush upon him like a whirlwind with chariots and horsemen and with many ships. And he shall come into countries and shall overflow and pass through. He shall come into the glorious land and tens of thousands 
but those shall be delivered out of his hand, Edom and Moab and the main part of the Ammonite. He shall stretch out his hand against the country, and the land of Egypt shall not escape. He shall become ruler of the treasure of gold and of silver, and all the precious things of Egypt, and the Libyans and the Cushites shall follow in his train. But news from the east and north shall alarm him, and he shall go out with great fury to destroy and devote many to destruction. And he shall pitch his palatal tents between the sea and the glorious holy mountain. Yet he shall come to his end with none to help him. So even though this passage is in chapter 11 with our material from last week's lesson that all has has happened in the past, there are some key differences that tell us this king is a different king than Antiochus Epiphanes. First, these things don't yet line up with history the way the other portions of this chapter line up with history. Remember last week we had that um, that map and that list of the kings um, or the timeline of the kings of, of the north and the south. And we had dates and we had dates of battles that matched up with battles here and, and w daughters being given as wives and we could name those daughters and see the, the murders that happened. We had all those details that lined up perfectly and we hit thir verse 36 and it no longer, there's no longer a piece of history. People have tried, but there is no longer a piece of history that lines up with it. Um, the, the, there are more liberal scholars that are the ones that say that this was all written later, like after the fact that say, well, yeah, but Daniel just got sloppy here. It's still Antiochus Epiphanes. Um, but that's not that's not what happened. Um, and so, so the, uh, the, the first key is from verse 36 and following, they don't line up with history in the same way for the nation of Israel and, and the empires of the world. The second thing is the, the phrase changes in this passage. So previously that, that time phrase that was used uh, earlier in the chapter was was the appointed time or the time appointed and now we have this transition and it's there in in verse 35 as as well but it we shift to the phrase the time of the end and so there's a definite uh, th there's a definite change a definite sort of line in the sand that verse 36 is uh, is later. Um, so this, if you remember from Daniel chapter nine, we're now into the last week of that that seventy weeks from Daniel chapter nine. Now, because this is part of the prophecy that does not line up with history specifically, I can't tell you exactly what it means or exactly what what things will look like. I can't give you specifics, so we have to look at this in a more vague manner. It may feel like a very surface level experience, but it hasn't happened yet. 
I can't give you dates. I can't give you names. I can't, I can't tell you battle, um, the battles and the outcomes of the battles. Well, I can tell you the outcome of the battle, but, um, but, but it's, um, so, so <coughs> just bear with me. This is the part where people believe a lot of different things and, and who knows which one is exactly right because it hasn't happened yet. God's the only one that knows. Um, but we are introduced again to a character that is known by many, though the, the term is not used in the book of Daniel, it's known by many as Antichrist. Um, uh, it, the name also is, is not in the book of Revelation. I believe it's used in 1 John, if I remember correctly, or one of the Johns. Uh, I can't remember. One of the epistles of John. But, um, but we're going to call him Antichrist because it's an accurate title. Um, but there are some other titles for the Antichrist, and so I gave out some verses that, and we're, so as the verses are being read, listen for what the name, what name, what term is used for this same, uh, this same person. So uh, Daniel 7, 8. I knew I was going to be first, and I'm not ready. Considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another horn, a little one, before which three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking great things. So, what was what was this one referred to? The little horn, right? We talked about that one in in. Uh, Daniel 7 learned a lot about this character there and then um, Daniel 9 26 and after the 62 weeks and then morning one shall be cut off and shall have nothing and the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary it then shall come with a flood and to the end there shall be war no nation or decree and who is this one? What is the title for, for this one? Prince who is to come. The prince who is to come. Uh, in Second Thessalonians 2, verse 3, there's actually two different titles. So what are the two names in that one? Man of lawlessness and son of destruction. And then we get in Revelation uh, 13 verses 5 through 8. Against God, he blasphemed his name and his tabernacle, 
and them that dwell in heaven. And it was given unto him to make war with the saints, and to overcome them. And power was given him over all kindreds, and tongues, and nations, and all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him, whose name, whose, whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Yeah, so I didn't have I didn't have her start early enough in her version. The ESV is up on the screen, and so there in the first line, what's the what's the title given? The beast. So, so we have all these different names for Antichrist, um, and you see they're all the son of destruction and beast and you see these things that are that are just not names you'd really want given for yourself right um so this this character is brought up both in the old and the new testament and and we want to um but we want to take a look at what specifically what what daniel sees in this vision so, um, uh, Dr. Daniel Aiken is one of the the professor president of Southeastern uh, Baptist Seminary, and he says the Antichrist is the spirit of this present evil age, and he is an eschatological apocalyptic figure who will build a golden empire and exalt and magnify himself above every god, and he will say outrageous things against the god of gods. He is a self-centered, arrogant, prideful, egomaniacal individual who epitomizes the depravity of man and our longing to be like God. That is, that is who we're going to read about. That is who we're going to learn about. But what we see in this passage is his appearance is not sudden. Remember back in Daniel 7, there, was the, there were the ten horns, and then that little horn came up and devoured three of them, right? He wasn't there at the beginning. His, his, he rises to power within some form of a new Roman empire. We have to remember he's... he's from Daniel 7, he came after Greece that Rome took over. And then, so he's in some form of a, a Roman empire. But he sees himself as divine. He exalts himself above every god. He speaks against the Lord. He is a gross blasphemer, but he's prosperous. And that can drive us crazy sometimes to see that, right? But there's, there's also this little phrase there in verse 36 that says, He shall prosper, this is the ESV, He shall prosper till the indignation is accomplished, for what is decreed shall be done. That's the key to this whole passage. God is still in control. He planned this from the beginning. So anytime we think about 
the Antichrist, we have to think about this as part of God's plan for the world and for his people. This is the part that encourages us. No matter what we read about this character, no matter what we see that he does, no matter what, what destruction and, and lawlessness and blaspheming he does, we know that God is in control of him. In one way or another, God is in control of his rise and all that he will do. Now, verse 37 there is a very strange verse. Um, it, it is, it, it's awkward, it's confusing. What it basic, because it says, um, he shall pay no attention to the gods of his fathers, there's, there's question of whether he was actually Jewish or not by, by birth. Um, but it doesn't matter. The key to that is that he has no respect for, for religious heritage whether it's his or anybody's. Um, Warren Wiersbe says the Antichrist will be an atheist and will reject all religions except the one he establishes when he declares himself God. And so he rejects all religions, but he will oppose the, Jew, the Jewish people in particular. But then the, the other thing we see about him from verse 36 is that he sees himself as greater than everybody, both men and women. Um, and so therefore, he won't be that, that part um, to, to the one beloved by women portion. Um, because he sees himself as so much better, he won't have a need for marriage or a, a woman or, or, I mean, any sort of, uh, it, it's almost like he's too arrogant to be able to love someone else. That's, the, that's what, what's trying to come across there. But then it says he shall honor the God of fortresses. Well, we just talked about he's an atheist, and how can he honor a God if he thinks he's himself God? So the, the key to that God of fortresses is, is kind of just a God of war. He, he has, it's just saying his mentality is a might makes right. If the, the take it by force, that's, that's, what he's, that's what he does. And then in verses 40 through 45, we get to some of these um, military conquests. As a side note, this king of the north and king of the south are, are not necessarily Egypt and Syria as they were earlier in the chapter. Um, some believe it'll be a Russian-led confederation from the north. Who knows? We just know the direction they're coming from, north and the south, right? Um, and, and we have to remember those directions come based on Israel and, and the, the glorious land. That's, that's how we know north and south. But what we see is in, in verses 45, 40 through 45, that the Antichrist is victorious. He gains great wealth. If you, if you read in um, Revelation 13, it'll talk about him ruling the world for a time. But then we get to there to verses 44 and 45, and we see this, this is what many see as the battle of Armageddon. This is where nations are going to submit to him, but dissent will be growing. 
he will start to face opposition. Um, the, this is the battle that occurs at the end of the tribulation period. And we see that the Antichrist meets his end um, and, and has no one to help him. So S Stephen Miller, he, he writes, Antichrist will meet these attacking forces in Palestine and make his headquarters, that's the pitch his tents, between the seas at the beautiful mountain. Seas denotes the two bodies of water on either side of Israel, the Mediterranean Sea on the west and the Dead Sea on the east. The beautiful holy mountain is, um, is Mount Zion, where the temple stood, rendering the mountain beautiful and holy. Antichrist will use the J Jerusalem temple for his headquarters, though the brunt of the battle will be elsewhere. So Daniel was here reporting that, that the final war will be fought in Israel, a fact set forth elsewhere in scripture. The book of Re Revelation indicates more specifically that the Valley of Megiddo will be the setting for this final conflict. That's where the word Armageddon comes from, is Mountain of Megiddo, by the way. Um, so the, that the Valley of Megiddo will be the setting of this final conflict, the Battle of Armageddon. Finally, the career of the most evil man in history will be terminated. Earlier in the book, Daniel revealed that the little horn will be judged when the Lord comes to set up his kingdom. Paul said this man of lawlessness will be destroyed by the splendor of, of Christ's coming. That's in uh, Thessalonians. And John teaches that the beast will be captured and thrown into the lake of fire at Christ's return. In, and that's in Revelation. Uh, this chapter closes with the pronouncement that there will be no escape, no help from any source for Antichrist when the judgment of God falls upon him and his evil empire. That's the part that we know about Antichrist. But now we get to the fun part, because this is the part where God wins and where we carry on because of it. So this is where the, the, the heading of your chapter will say the time of the end, but in reality what we see is the new beginning. Um, so uh, Daniel 12, 1 through 3. At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince who has charge of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time your people shall be delivered. Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. So at that time means the time of the end, referenced both in um, earlier in chapter 11 and later in chapter 12. So that's, that's continuing that this will happen at another time. But who was Michael? We talked about him last week. He's a warrior angel. A warrior angel. He's, the, he's like the angel prince. Um, and, and we see that 
when he's mentioned in scripture, he's kind of the one that's in charge of the Jewish people. And I think I talked about it last week. Angels were given sort of geographic locations or the way it appears in scripture. They're given geographic locations or groups of people to sort of be responsible for. So he was the one responsible for the Jewish people. And what's he doing here? I know it's kind of harder to see this one. Oh, so he yeah, he comes. He comes to their defense. He's sent to serve and to assist them. That that's what he's doing. So so we have to remember God's angels are on our side, and we are work and they are working on our behalf. And this is this is good news, because verse one promises there will be a time of trouble such as never been seen. This is not a concept that is only in Daniel and Revelation or even just prophetic works. Right? Throughout the Bible, we are promised persecution. But as we approach the time of the end, this particular time, we see this increasing. Uh, Dr. Aiken says this the refining will not be optional. It will not be a small skirmish. It will be a take-no-prisoners war. Then there's that little key word, three-letter word there, smack dab in the middle of verse one, but. But God. When I see a but in the Bible, I know it's about to get good, right? This but is no different. But at that time, your people shall be delivered. Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. How amazing is that? That's the promise. We have this trouble such as never been seen, but God will deliver his people. They have, the, Israel will face trouble and they have seen a lot. This will be even worse, but God will deliver them. It will feel like Antichrist is winning. It will feel like there is no hope Believers will suffer and believers will die, but God. Deliverance is coming. And just a reminder, this was one of our dinner table conversations at our house. Once your name is written in the book of life, it cannot be erased or revoked. It is there and it is a guarantee that you are on the winning side and that you will be delivered along with the people of of Israel. So verse 2 here uh, is the reference to the bodily resurrection for all. This is when the believers will get everlasting life and those who are not, who are not will get eternal damnation. Uh, Warren Wiersbe says when Jesus returns to earth at the end of the tribulation he will bring his people to share the victory and the glory. And then verse 3 gives us another beautiful promise. Uh, it was referred to, and I, I, I don't remember which thing I was reading that said it, but it was referred to as the soul winner's promise. And I just really thought that was a beautiful way to describe this because this, verse 3, is our call to evangelism. 
verse 3 in the, the ESV says, And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. And while I don't think you should study from, from the message, um, because it is, it is a paraphrase, but it, it's, this particular verse in the message says, Men and women who have lived wisely and well will shine brilliantly, like cloudless star like the cloudless star-strewn night skies and those who put others on the right path of, to life will glow like stars forever remember it will be costly to share the gospel during the tribulation during that time of trouble but our salvation is not something we should keep to ourselves it should be shared for the well-being of others. Believers who have suffered in their service for Christ will be more compensated as they share in His glory. That's what this is telling us. Those who bring people to righteousness, who turn many to righteousness, so those who are witnessing to others, those who are planting those seeds, who are watering those seeds, who are doing what God has called us to do, they are going to shine like stars forever and ever. And that sort of ends the, the, the vision of what's, what's to come. And then we get to some final instructions for Daniel. And so um, Daniel 12, 4 through 13. But you, Daniel, shut up the world and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. Then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, two others stood, one on this bank of the stream, and one on that bank of the stream. And someone said to the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the stream, How long shall it be till the end of these wonders? And I heard the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the stream. He raised his right hand and his left hand toward heaven, and swore by him who lives forever that it would be for a time, time, and half a time, and that when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end, all these things would be finished. I heard, but I did not understand. Then I said, O oh my Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? He said, Go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. Many shall purify themselves and make themselves whitened, but the wicked shall act wickedly. And none of the wicked shall understand, but those who are wise shall understand. And from the time of, that the regular burnt offering is taken away, and the abomination that makes desolate is set up, there shall be 1290 days. Blessed is he who waits and arrives at the 1335th day. Yeah. But go your way till the end, and you shall rest Shall stand in your allotted place at the end of the days. So here it becomes, I mean, before they were talking to Daniel, so it, but, but here it becomes a conversation with Daniel. It's focused on Daniel a little more. Um, but verse 4 is one of theirs where cultural context is of utmost importance. When we read this today, there are many of us who think, wait a minute. Shut up the words and seal the book, but it should be shared. We just talked about it should be shared. The previous verse, right? 
What is God saying? What he's saying is <laughs> that at this point in history, official transactions were made official with two copies of the document. One was sealed and put away somewhere to protect it, while the other was kept out and available and, and shared and viewed. Uh, this was not God saying, seal this up and put it away so no one can see it. This is not God saying, keep it a secret. This is, this is God saying, this is the official document holding me to this. I will keep my promise to my people. And so God gave these visions to be an encouragement to his people, both in the past and in the present. It was meant to be shared and to be treasured. Shutting it up and sealing it was the way of authenticating the document. And then who appears on either side of the river? I think I heard somebody whisper the answer. It's two more angels on either side of, of, that, of that vision of, of Jesus. And, and they asked a question uh, in verse 6. What, what question did they ask? Yeah, they wanted to know the timing. They didn't know the answer, right? That's got to be a, an encouragement to us as well that they, they didn't know the answer, but they wanted to know. And Jesus graciously answered and said, a time, times, and a half time before it will be finished. So remember from chapter 7, a time equals one year. So a time and then times would be two years and half a time would be six months. So altogether it's three and a half years. And as he said this, Jesus had both his hands raised up to heaven. So it was almost like it was an oath. That was him saying this will be a time, times, and a half time. This is the truth. Um, and then I love Daniel. Because this is Daniel's response. I heard, but I did not understand. Right? That's what, that's what Daniel says. That's what Daniel's feeling right now. And it's like, oh, if Daniel didn't understand it all, then boy, it's okay that I didn't understand it all. Right? He asks for more information. And then Jesus answers him and said, I, basically, he says, I've given you all the information you need until the time of the end. It's enough. This was not a rebuke. This was God telling Daniel that, that Daniel still had work to do. This was enough information to get him through that work. And, and that's, that's all that he needed. If he's telling Daniel that's all he needs, then he's telling us that's all we need too. We need to look at these passages and we need to say, God, we need to remember the big things. We need to remember that trouble's coming. It's going to get bad, but you're going to win. And however those details work out, that wasn't important enough for us to know. And so we just trust that what you have planned is, is good. The verses... Um, 11 through 13 are, are some that are a bit more um, 
unclear. It gives those numbers of days. Um, commentaries are all over the place on what those what those time periods are. It's um, three and a half years. I think it was three and a half years is 1260 days. So this is 30 and 75 days more than that three and a half years. Um, Dr. Aiken says, when it comes to eschatology, there are things we know and things we don't know and can't know because God has chosen not to reveal them to us. So there are things that we know about the time of the end, but there are things that we don't know. But what we do know is those instructions to Daniel but go your way, in verse 13, but go your way till the end, and you shall rest and shall stand in your allotted place at the end of the days, doesn't just apply to Daniel. That applies to us, too. We, we know what we know about the time of the end. We have to live in light of it. Um, Dr. Aiken also says, future destiny impacts present discipleship. What I will be someday will mold and shape how I live today. This was, this was the goal of Daniel. Was God's promise is to bless those who endure and bless those who persevere. Using these specific numbers of days, helps us to remember that God is sovereign and God is in control over the timing of the history and the timing of the future. But we have that specific promise. It's specific to Daniel, but it applies to us as well that God still has work for us to do until then. And then he will be able to rest. Now, I did not know what my future would look like when we left Bethel Baptist Church. It was a time of unknown, it was a time of change, of upheaval, upheaval in our lives. But God knew that it was a beautiful beginning of our ministry at Mount Calvary Church. And so now as we finish our study of Daniel and we've seen the vision of the time of the end, I want to challenge you to look at this, this whole thing as a time of transition. It is the end of the world as we know it. But in reality, it is the beginning of the reign of King Jesus with a new heaven and a new earth. That, that is Daniel. <laughs>